You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio, welcome to another Colts Blue Zone Podcast here in studio. It's Joe Hopkins and myself, Dave Griffiths. Joining us from his Beach Grove estate is Mike Chappell. And guys, there's no time to waste in this podcast because training camp is here. The storylines are coming in. So we got to get right to them. And it's obvious what the top storyline right now is coming out of Colts camp, Mike. And that is injuries. It is your starting quarterback is out. It is your all pro left guard is out. It is virtually the same injury for both of them. Coincidentally, as Frank Reich said, but certainly not the way the Colts had wanted to start camp, not the way any NFL team would want to start camp. Mike, if we were hoping for a nice, easy couple weeks cruising through Westfield to get through preseason games and then see what happens week one, well, we are going to be uh, sorely disappointed. Yeah, we, we were kind of joking yesterday. It was joking because you know, if you don't, you start crying. But all of a sudden, the, the fact that your head coach misses the first part of camp because of COVID is like the, the fourth biggest news of camp. You know, we're, we're watching uh, the drills yesterday, and in the back watching were Eric Fisher, Ryan Kelly, and Quentin Nelson. And it, it's it, and, and and of course they're they're not watching Carson Wentz, so it's the team is putting as good a spin on this as they can. I talked with someone high up, and they're being optimistic. They said because th- these aren't season-ending injuries, so they're they're finding the silver lining. But let's let's not kid ourselves. This is not the way that you want camp to unfold, and we're only what two weeks in. And it really cranks up next week with Carolina coming in. But you, the one thing that, that we were really pleased about with, with the way they built the roster is is the offensive line depth was really, really good. You know, they had 10, 11 guys you could depend on. Well, that's like if you need the guy here, you need the guy there, but not all at once. And the offense had been very, very uneven, if we want to be generous, the first two weeks. But it's because you've got backup, the twos and threes playing one. And I, the, the, the real silver lining is it happened early. So there's a chance there's a chance guys get back for the opener, probably Quentin Nelson more than Wentz. But it's really hard to put a positive spin on the way camp has started just because you're talking significant positions. Yeah, that's that's what the Colts do. And that's what any NFL team would do is they put their own positive spin, of course, on a negative situation. That's what it is. No matter how many times Frank Reich comes out and says that uh, he's encouraged about uh, nothing, nothing like you, you, you say that uh, the surgery went as planned. So hopefully it's on the the small side of the five to twelve week. By the way, Joe, five to twelve weeks. That is that is not a small window for a recovery time. There is a lot of room for error in there. Yeah, that's <laughs> I, like I can't remember a month ever to I, three months. I can't remember ever hearing. Does, does, does five to twelve weeks sound better than one to three months? Yeah. When you get when you get the word months in there, but yeah, you're right. It, it, it's one of the biggest. It, it beats in out indefinitely. Yeah, but not a lot. So you know, do the math on on if it's on the far side and it's it's twelve weeks. Do the math on that. Right. I mean, you do hear things like six to eight months for recovery for an ACL or maybe an Achilles or something like that, or six to nine months. So so yeah, maybe you hear bigger bigger um, stretches of time. But but for a seemingly smaller time, you know, just one to three months, usually usually it is a matter of like, I don't know, six or seven weeks, you might hear. Like it, it, it was just weird to me to see an injury and then to see it twice being five to 12 weeks, whatever that's going to come out. So let, let's give a few details of this injury. And if you've been hiding under a rock uh, for the past week, uh, Carson Wentz had surgery on Monday, removing a fragment of a broken bone in his left foot. And he suffered the injury last Thursday during team drills. He felt, quote, a twinge while rolling out to his right. And uh, doctors agreed the issue involved a broken bone in his foot that probably dated back to his high school days. And then Frank Reich just says all of a sudden the, the broken bone that was lodged in there moves a little bit and causes some pain, causes some aggravation. Then you go in to take it out. So uh, the Colts do seem optimistic with Wentz. And uh, again, the Colts have said that on that day, too, uh, they were really happy with uh, with what Wentz was able to do in, in that offense. But again, like I, I, I'm not going to sit here and just spout that off to you guys who are listening that, well, Carson Wentz has kind of proven that, uh, that, uh, he, he's on the right path. I don't know if Carson Wentz is on the right path right now with, with the Colts. I just don't, because that's what you're going to get. You're going to get that from, from coaches or from teammates and players right now, early in cap. No one's going to come out and say, 
boy, uh, this isn't what we expected. We got a really long way to go in six weeks. So like, it's, I, I can't sit here, Mike, and say confidently that, that, that the Colts are on the right path with Carson Wentz to be ready early on in the season. Carson Wentz is on the right path to be ready to go and back to his old self at the start of the season. Those were questions that we hope to answer with our eyes you know, over these six weeks or these couple weeks of camp and then practice before the season began. We are now not going to get that. It is going to be very much a dry run whenever he does come back and whenever he is ready. There were already a bunch of questions with how ready Carson Wentz was going to be, how good a fit in this offense he was going to be, how healthy he was going to be. Now, like it's, I, I just am not taking anyone's word for granted. Now, whatever the Colts say it is fine, it's square, but at the same time, like it, it is, it is completely up in the air because we can't have our eyes on him ourselves to see how he is doing with his receivers. Like it, there is no test for for us to have a good idea what we are going to get whenever Carson Wentz does return from this injury. Yeah, and keep in mind that the the OTAs, the two week OTAs back in whatever it was in early June, it, it was not eleven on eleven. It wasn't offense versus defense. And yeah, they were throwing to receivers, and they threw in Texas and California in here. It's not the same. It, it just isn't. That's why you go you go seven on seven, then you go eleven on eleven at practice, where it sort of cranks up. So he's not going to get that. And and let's say he, he's he misses two games and comes back, it's going to be sort of cold turkey. He'll 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 have had quick work, but but not a lot of work. It'll be remember how Philip Rivers last year, the the first month of the season, it just took time. It it, it just takes time. That's what you know. That's why they practice. I mean, Allen Iverson practice, man. We're talking practice. So uh, it, it, it's it's like like we we talking like you said. You put spin on it because if you don't, you know, you're just sort of out there letting people set the narrative for you. But it, it, it's not good. And the second thing is where you say, well, you know, the one area where you need to have people playing together and knowing what you're doing is the offensive line. Well, that's not going to happen. You know, you've got Glowinski and Braden Smith and. And they've not been rock solid so far in camp. So you're looking at Kelly missing another week, two weeks maybe. He won't play the Carolina game. And, and you're going to have the left tackle. Who knows? Who knows when Eric Fisher will be out there? And, and Quentin Nelson, you hope for the opener, but you don't know. So, yeah, it's it's we're going to be taking the team's word for that we're making progress. And, hey, Jacob Eason's looking better today. Well, he looked like, you know, he looked really bad yesterday. So uh, it's 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 not the best thing for, for Carson Wentz. The only thing is he knows the offense, but it's just different when you've got angry people coming at you and you're trying to get the ball to Paris Campbell or T.Y. Hilton. It's just different. There certainly is a, uh, a silver lining, if it is a very small silver lining, Joe, and that is the fact that Jacob Eason is going to get a lot more reps right now, especially with the ones, and he's going to get a lot more eyes from the coaches on his development because – if Carson Wentz was there, it would be certainly split between the two. And you could throw Sam Ellinger in there as well to, to have three guys, really. But but now all eyes are on Jacob Eason, and it's very likely that he's going to start at least a game or two at the start of the year, if not more than that. So so like I said, it is a silver lining, albeit a silver lining you would rather not have. Um, so a lot of things that Colts fans, some Colts fans, a select group of Colts fans, I should say, have been clamoring for over the last year and a half or whatever, is to see what Jacob Eason can do. Well, now we are going to see what Jacob Eason can do. And see what he can do with the ones during preseason games. I got to imagine, especially now, uh, a few of those frontline players might play a few more snaps during the preseason just to get extra playing time with Eason if he does, in fact, have to play week one, have to play week two. Um we got Seattle and the Rams, those first two games. So those are not going to be easy competitions for Carson Wentz, let alone Jacob Eason. Um, I hope he does continue to improve throughout camp because what I heard from uh, you guys on Twitter was things were not looking good. And there's already a few rumblings that, uh, you know, some people clamoring for the Colts to bring in another quarterback. But I think uh, it's going to take some time before that happens. Yeah, I, I think what you know, just gut from what what they've said, what they haven't said. That that you know, again, Frank says he's our starting quarterback for now. They really want to see what he does next week when Carolina comes in with the joint practices, and they really want to see what he does in the preseason game. And if he plays well and acts like he knows what he's doing, then they can they can kick this down the, the road further. 
to me, the issue is if he goes out there against Carolina and just looks deer in headlights lost, that's when I think they, they further the internal discussions on what you do. You, you just simply cannot go into this season with, with, with the injuries that you've got, but you still have expectations and put this roster in the hands of a quarterback who, who just doesn't, who isn't ready, who isn't ready. So I, if I had to bet a hundred dollars and I, I quit that a long time ago and I kept losing money, if I had to bet is the opening day starter here, I would almost say no. And, 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 and I don't mean to be hot take guy, but if, if, Eason has really issues in in the first preseason game or the second one. Certainly, you can't go into the season with either he, or certainly not Ellinger, or Brett Hundley. I just don't see how you tell the rest of the roster: DeForest Buckner, Darius Leonard, and, and Braden Smith, and all these guys. Hey, you know, it's going to be kind of rough to start with, but we we might be able to get there. These guys want the best chance to win, and you can put whoever's name you want in there. If if these quarterbacks here aren't doing it, they will find someone else. Mike, let me ask you this question, because we have seen certainly up and down performance from Jacob Eason so far. He's had some good days. He's certainly had some bad days as well. Joe, you brought that up a bit ago, just talking about what you've heard from Twitter or seen from people throughout throughout these last this last week of practice. But but Mike, I'm I'm not too concerned about up days and down days with Eason, because first of all, this is his first like real last year was kind of a real training camp, but not exactly. But this is his first real training camp. It's going to be his first real live competition. You're, you're going to get good days and bad days from a fourth round pick who was just taken last year. So the, the fact that there are bad days that he goes like five for 12, I don't care. I, I really do not care at all. And I understand why people send out that information, because other people who, who are out there want that information. That's cool. I'm not trying to detract that at all. But. But I, I am not concerned by bad days. I'm not even concerned right now at the start of camp with more bad days than good days. I'm really not. I, I, I care to see whether he gets better throughout these six weeks. Like, and by the end of camp, he can't be having too many of those days, if any of them at all. By the end of camp, he needs to be in better control of the offense, more confident in the huddle with the play calls so that everyone around him knows that he knows what's going on. So uh, do you get that? Does that ring true for you? That Are you not as concerned? Or, or maybe you are more concerned than I am at this point. I don't know. No, but 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 I don't think you can wait till the end of camp to make that decision. You, you have to, when you're sitting in those in the, in the video reviews, you have to see the improvement again you're going to get ups and downs last year was a red shirt year this and again this is his first camp and again they didn't do that much in the off season so you're going to get you're going to get the ups and downs but you you need to see at least through their eyes improvement and growth and that's where you simply have to leave it up to Reich and Ballard they're they're not going to put a quarterback out there against the Seahawks and the Rams who is not ready they I just don't see him doing that so it, that, that's why I say I just don't know that the guy is here yet because they still have they're not cashing in the season they're not expecting to have their first round pick next year because of of, of Wentz not being there long enough or this being a bad team but I, I need to see in my eyes improvement you know What's bothered me the most so far, and again, it's all to be understandable, but you know, this is big boy football, and you have to not fall on excuses. There's just been an, an indecision on going through the progressions and making throws, and I don't know whether that's even him not trusting himself, him seeing things from the defense, and I'm talking some of the indecisions is in seven on seven, which is that's really should be really crisp and timing. So we'll see. That, that's why I say I'm really, really interested in how he plays next week. When the Panthers are here in two, there'll be spirited practices. They will be. And how he plays in the preseason game. If they see progress, they'll stick with him. If, they, if, they, if he goes out there and just falls flat, which I don't think he will, they have, they have to look at other options. And there are other options out there. Here, here's my overarching thought on this situation. And it's taken me 15 minutes to get there, but here we are. Nevertheless, my thought, this is the most predictable problem that could have happened to the Indianapolis Colts, this training camp. 
the most predictable problem because you had Carson Wentz with an injury history and your backup was Jacob Eason, who had zero, zero live NFL experience. It doesn't matter how good the rest of your roster is constructed. Mike, you mentioned the offensive line specifically. It's obviously one of the best in the league when it's fully healthy. And Chris Ballard had put together what looked like a really good group of depth behind it. Same on the defensive line. Depth, depth, depth. In the trenches, they have it. Where the most important positions on the football field, especially extending the game, the season by one game, all that that we've talked about. But you can have a wonderfully constructed roster and one problem and that one problem comes up to bite you in the butt at the worst possible time. And like I'm saying, this we talked about it through the offseason, that we were surprised that the Colts didn't go out and sign a veteran backup, that they were just going to roll with Jacob Eason and then turned out Sam Ellinger after uh, the draft came, and he was coming here as well. So you had Wentz, who was questionable, even though we've all said here on the show, me in particular, that I think it's going to turn out great if he's healthy. I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. But this was the problem we all pointed to, that it was more than possible. And here we are. Maybe it's not the worst possible time to have it because it's not week one in the season. and He's out for five to 12 weeks. But, but Joe, this is a problem that we all thought could happen. And here it is. I'm not trying to detract from what Chris Ballard has done to build this roster. It's great. It's also part to say that it's hard to build a, a roster in the NFL with zero um, er errors or faults or things that could be could come up and, and bite you in the butt. But this is one of the worst things that could happen to 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 a team that has big aspirations, that has division championship aspirations, that has strong aspirations within the conference to be able to challenge the Kansas cities, the Baltimore's, the Buffalo's. You lose your starting quarterback. And we all said it the week before the year, the most important Colts, Carson Wentz was number one because mainly of who was behind them or a lack of who was behind him. And here we are that Carson Wentz is hurt and the most predictable problem came to pass. Yeah. The luxury of having Jacoby Brissett as your number two quarterback is no longer there. And it, it, how nice would it be if the Colts could go, Oh, well, we'll just lean on Brissett for this first few weeks. Now, I don't think too many fans would be worried at all. In fact, a few of them might be like, take your time, Carson. So we can keep our first round pick. Um, I believe it's 75%. If he plays less than 75% of the snaps, the Colts keep their first round pick if they miss the playoffs. Uh, if they make the playoffs and he plays less than 70% of the snaps, the Colts also keep their first round pick. But right now, it seems like the Colts are expecting him back before then. And they're going to have to hope for either Jacob Eason to play close to the level that uh, they thought he could play when they picked him out of college. I mean, there's a lot of people who were high on this guy and thought that he might be a day two draft pick. He ended up falling to the third or go after a few names. I mean, we've talked on multiple podcasts about how the veteran quarterback market is pretty dried up and how about the best one available is Robert Griffin. And I'm not sure Robert Griffin's going to do a whole lot more than Jacob Eason. So uh, Blake, go, Blake, go ahead, Mike. Uh, Blake Bortles is better than Robert Griffin. That's right. Blake I mean, Bortles so did so get Blake cut. So, so, you know, I, and again, it's it's risky to kind of look inside and, and predict or at least guess what the Colts are thinking. But perhaps they're, they are thinking internally, you know, if this doesn't work with with, with Eason and, and uh, Wentz is going to miss two, three games, whatever, maybe they do in the back of their mind think that Nick Foles is a possibility. Anyone, I'm sure everyone saw the video of, of, of uh, Nick Foles talking about it, which which verified that players can't get fined for tampering, where okay. where he 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 very much is a Frank Reich fan and made it very clear that he wouldn't mind coming here, and Frank Reich even returned fire today where he said, "I love the guy," you know, he talked all about him, and the the consensus is that Foles will not be on that Bears roster at the end of the month, and maybe they're thinking that well if it, if this just blows up on him. They can either swing a trade, a late round pick for Foles, or they can wait till the Bears cut him and sign him as a free agent. That's that's a possibility. Uh, so we'll see. That, you know, and we can, we can always argue what would you get? What would the Bears take for for Nick Foles when they know that the Colts are desperate? I don't know. Would you give up a sixth round pick for for Nick Foles? I probably would, because because of the need. But then you're pulling in as. $4 million contract as well. So 
they like most teams that they've got to have a plan. This plan C, I guess this would be, but uh, you just hope you don't get there. But I, again, I guess you just sort of as, as a Colts fan, keep your fingers crossed. And and we've seen we've seen moments from Eason. The problem we've seen with him, besides besides in my mind the indecision, is he's got a fastball. He's got a strong arm. It's incredibly strong. But so much of the time, you don't know where it's going. And it seems to lack touch on intermediate things, which they're, they're using a lot of. So, But everything we're saying, like like Dave said earlier, to a degree, it's understandable. This is his really first training camp and really the first time he's gotten extended work behind a line that's, that's, that's patchwork right now. So what, what, what the team would probably ask everyone for is patience. And fans have no patience, and the media has no patience. So good luck with that. So outside of Nick Foles, perhaps some other quarterbacks the Colts could either trade for or pick up off the uh, off the cutting block at the end of camp. Guys like uh, Marcus Mariota out in Vegas. Uh, Gardner Minshew, you'd probably have to trade for him uh, in Jacksonville. Um, you list Jacoby Brissett here <laughs> from Miami. <laughs> It'd be nice to have him back. It, it's zero percent. Zero. <laughs> it was not going to happen to have Jacoby Brissett back here. But um, out of all those names, I think I think Foles would be certainly the most likely to come here because of the mutual admiration between him and Frank. And he, right? know, and he knows the offense. He knows because the he offense. knows the offense exactly, completely. Uh, because um, what was I going to say? Because Chicago might not have room for him. Like Chicago's in a um, in a spot where I mean they they sign Foles, they have Andy Dalton, and uh, you go into the draft, and well, there's uh, there's Justin Fields for you too. So you've got your guy that you definitely want uh, going to the future. So do you really want to take on three spots on your roster there? Can you afford to take on fourteen million dollars in dead money? And, and here's the deal with Foles: like if if he gets cut, every team in the NFL knows he's going to Indy. It it, 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 it certainly seems that way. That that's what he wants. He would want to do based on what he said the other day about, about Frank Reich. So other teams are certainly going to have to offer something to the bears. If they want to trade, the Colts won't have to offer anything unless of course there is a bidding war, quote unquote war. And I use that word in quotes because it's not going to be that hefty of a bidding war. It's not like it's going to work its way up to a third round pick, but if there's another team that's interested in bringing him on as a veteran backup, or if the case is that they, they lose someone in the, a team loses someone in the preseason and wants someone like a Nick Foles to come in, then you create some intrigue and some interest that that another team might jump in there. But but if it gets to the point where the Bears do cut him, that then there's 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 almost a zero percent chance he goes anywhere else but Indy, assuming things stay as they are and Carson's going to take a while to come back. So it's something that the Colts like you can only right now you can only outbid yourself for for Nick Foles. There there's I, I don't think the Bears are going to be very willing to give him up early. They have no reason to unless somebody comes and wows them, uh, because the more you wait, the more teams might get involved. Uh, so so to me, I, I don't I don't see that happening anytime soon. And like you said, Mike, we the Colts want to wait uh, to see what Jacob Eason uh, provides during the preseason uh, before they would do before they would do anything like that. that. Um, and also, Joe, Joe makes a great note here that uh, L.A. Times reporter Sam Farmer tweeted out on Tuesday that, uh, quote, spent the first half of the day with Philip Rivers who assures me that while he's focused on coaching high school football now, he isn't closing the door on coming back for a stint late in the season if there's an NFL team that needs him. So, Mike, if Carson goes down week 13, week 14, watch out. Uncle Phil could be coming back to Indy. We were talking in the press room when this came up with Wentz early in the week that, you know, hey, give Phillip Rivers a call. Maybe, you know, maybe high school coaching is not what he thought or, his team's 0-5, whatever, I, I don't know. But they never could have made it work cap-wise. They're probably $11, $12 million under the cap right now. And, well, you're going to get Rivers to come back and play for $3 million? I mean, really? So, and, and one thing about coming back and playing for a, maybe playing for a, a, a playoff team or whatever, you wouldn't think that's going to be Indy. I mean, it w- if they need a quarterback in November – it's because Wentz either never came back or, or whatever. So this thing could be off the rails by, by November and he's not going to come and just check balls at T.Y. Hilton just for giggles. So yeah, it's interesting. And, and, and one thing I brought up today in the press room, can you imagine 
what what you know when they had their exit interviews in January, and they told Philip go you know go take a couple of days and think about it, and then he called him and said, "I'm going to retire." We talked to, to to Chris Ballard, and I got the impression they didn't do a real hard sell, trying to probably because I, I'm not sure that how wise it is to try to talk somebody out of retirement. Because if they're thinking that hard, then they're halfway out the door. But but maybe if they had, maybe if they had been more aggressive, because the plan was always for two years with, with Philip. It, re- it really was. That wasn't supposed to be one and done. So what happens if they're a little more aggressive and say, you know, look how close we were in Buffalo and with you having another year and all these players another year. So if Rivers comes back, then, then you don't make the wins trade. And now, then, then do you still maybe try to find a quarterback in the draft, you know, from going to 21 to somewhere, and maybe maybe then you're in the in the market for you're in the hunt for Fields. I don't know, but what if they had made a stronger push to talk him out of it? You know, high school football is going to be there. I think his son Gunner, I think, is a seventh grader, maybe an eighth grader, so we still got time, but. Uh, it could have changed how they've done all of this. Although I, I still would have wanted what we talked about a, a veteran backup just in case. I mean, just in case, because if, if your starter goes down and you haven't got help, then your season is, is, is in the dumpster. Lots of what ifs there for sure. Let's move on to Quentin Nelson's injury foot surgery on Tuesday, the day after Carson went. So uh, Dr. Porter here in Indy is uh better save that four o'clock time slot. <laughs> For, uh, for the next couple of days, just in case anything happens out of Colts camp. But uh, Big Q, another similar injury, a developmental anomaly is what uh, Frank Wright called it, not a you, former injury. You hadn't heard that before, had you? Developmental no, had anomaly? Not. Developmental anomaly, no. Something he was kind of born with, then the bone kind of came loose there and clip, clip, and uh, see you later. Uh, the Colts are hopeful Nelson will be ready week one. So is Quinton. He tweeted out, uh, well, he sent out on Instagram that this was his third surgery of the offseason. Uh, no time for pity. He used a word that I shouldn't use and then said, uh, truth is I'm thankful, thankful for the early part of the timetable says five weeks. That gives me five weeks to do everything I can physically and mentally to be ready for week one to smash these goals. Now, a foot injury for an offensive lineman is certainly not fantastic, I would think, because you're trying to brace against the ground and push 350 pound guys where you want to push them. Um, and for Carson Wentz, it's not the best thing either, because, I mean, he's a quarterback that has a little bit of mobility. Yeah, he's not Lamar Jackson, but. One of his strengths that we talked about all offseason, one thing that separates him from other quarterbacks is his ability to improvise and to get time out of the pocket and to extend plays. And that's one reason that I think T.Y. Hilton's in store for a great season, if indeed Carson Wentz can be healthy, is he has a guy that can do that for him. And that's one thing that T.Y. and Andrew Luck always connected on. It was one of T.Y.'s strengths as well. So you put two guys together with the same strengths and boom, magic happens. Um, But anyway, like it's not... It's not a wide receiver or running back, which I think Mike would be uh, inarguably worse to have this type of injury as speed guys or guys that need to cut on a dime. But it doesn't sound to me like like quarterback and offensive line is all that good to have this injury either. Yeah, it, it's good. And we, we joke. I mentioned Naheem Hines. It just, you know, we didn't know that Quentin Nelson was human. Well, he is. But but yeah, you're right. When you're talking, you're talking different skill set and different things you're asked to do and. You know, it's got by position. It's got to be just as hard for Quentin Nelson to plant and with and hold back a 320 pound tackle, defensive tackle, and how much they use him pulling. So it's it's going to be. They keep saying it's going to be about the same time they anticipate. Now, whether Quentin's back earlier, I don't know. You know, we always talk about how tough he is and all this. Well, it's it's still your body and it's still a foot. And you can't look down and cuss your foot out and say, we're going to go this week. So, uh, but I, I won't be surprised if Quentin Nelson's out there in the opener. I just won't be, you know, because he, he's done things that, that have surprised me. Remember, remember, I'm one of those guys that wasn't crazy about the sixth overall pick on a guard. What? You? I don't remember I ever hearing that before. <laughs> me and Rick Venturi are on that uh, island together and we'll, we'll, and we'll die there probably. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, I'm encouraged by Nelson, 
But still, until we see him out there, and it's going to, you know, how long is it going to take him to kind of get back in shape? He won't be out of shape, but when you've got a foot, you know, for the first two weeks, you don't do anything. You stay off of it. So you have to be careful about conditioning and get, you know, not losing the strength. But it's it's still better to happen now than, than in the opener, I, I guess. But again, it's never been anytime you have surgery, it's not good. So, you know, and we'll just see if they, how quickly they can overcome this. Yeah, and just a little more on the nature of the injury, something that Frank Wright said that I found interesting was, quote, with this injury, listening to doctors, you have to get to an acceptable level of pain, and then you can start playing. That could happen early, and if you decide uh, he can play, then it just keeps getting better as we go. Playing for a few weeks with that pain, the best case, though, is the pain leaves early. So it sounds like something once it heals, you know, it's not like if he comes back at nine weeks instead of 12 or whatever it might be, he's at risk of re-injury. It sounds like once it heals after that four to five weeks, it's more of a pain tolerance type issue, which I guess would be why the window from five to 12 weeks is so wide there. Yeah, and that's a good point, Joe. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, Yeah, without Quentin Nelson, we have... Uh, Chris Reed, Danny Pinter will likely compete for the job if Quinton ends up missing games. And heck, both of those guys could be on the on the field if uh, Pinter is slotted into the middle, if he's going to be playing center for Ryan Kelly. But uh, Ryan Kelly, apparently that hyperextended left elbow last week is not quite as severe. Um, I think it was Matt Eberflus at the time because Frank Reich was out saying he might miss a couple weeks. So I, I'd imagine just based on that diagnosis and what we heard that he he could be ready for the regular season. Um, so So we're hopeful Ryan Kelly will be back. It won't be the entire uh, three left side of the of the offensive line with Eric Fisher, obviously not going to be ready week one, but um, maybe just the Quentin Nelson and Eric Fisher, which which still, Mike, is not good um, when that's supposed to be the strength of your team. Whenever you have the strength of your team, of course, you build up the rest of your your whole game plan to to take advantage of that strength. That's why you're one of the best running ga- running teams in, in the NFL. Uh, and that's why you can uh, do some more interesting things in the passing game because you don't have to leave the tight end end into block. So. It's uh so so what all of a sudden the strength becomes at best average for you right now so that's going to change up exactly how you can attack things right out of the gates this year. Yeah, for, for the most part today the left side was Sam Tevy at left tackle, Chris Reed left guard, and Danny Pinner at center. And you know we'll, Sam Tevy's been up and down. Chris Reed the same. Will Holden was a left tackle for the first week of camp, and now they're they're trying to find out probably what Sam Tevy can do. Danny Penner is is probably projected to be that movable part, the, the Joe Reich, uh, Joe Haig type of player, certainly in, in the interior. So, you know, it, it, we'll see how it goes. E- either the offensive line has been really, really ragged, or this defensive line is the second coming of the Chicago Bears because the defensive line has just been ravaging the offense which is good to see until you keep in mind that they're having these, the twos and threes playing a lot of reps with the ones. And again, I, I, I'm not sure how a coach ad, adequately evaluates the offense, how you're progressing when you've got so many significant parts out, but that's what that, that's the case they're in right now. There is one more injury note I want to touch on before moving. It's not, well, Nahi Mines is back, so he's not an injury note anymore, but he started camp uh, on the sidelines due to a hip injury. He said today, Wednesday, as we tape this, that he's just fine. But we haven't seen Darius Leonard, Mike. I mean, we've seen him. He is there. He is in his jersey and his shorts and just walking around the, the, the field. But he's not playing right now. And my thought on Darius Leonard is he's still looking for that contract right now. Like, Braden Smith got his money, so he's good to go. Darius Leonard, if you are even mildly injured right now and you're Darius Leonard, why come back to training camp? Why play one snap if you don't have to until you get your money? I know it's a selfish thing. It's a selfish approach, but players need to be selfish at some point because they have such a limited window to make this money. You know, the the worst possible thing, again, that could happen. And judging by what's happened in Colts camp for this past week, it's not out of the realm of possibility for someone to get hurt. Darius Leonard is, to me, just being a smart dude and not coming back, not as soon as, well, not coming back, not pushing things to get back. He knows the defense. He knows what he has to do. 
stay on the sideline until you are healthy, completely healthy. And even then I'd be understandable if Darius Leonard didn't want to play because Mike, he doesn't have his contract yet. Well, and, and he sees the quarterback and the, and the pro bowl left guard go down. I exactly. Mean, does, that, does that not say, you know, you, you better get yours before, you know, I, I, again, I, I don't know if that's the case, but you certainly think it's certainly in, in his mind. And we talk about being selfish. You better be, you know, the talk, teams talk about loyalty and family and culture. And then you see guys with contracts that, that, and their and their contracts are terminated. So uh, you have to, there's a fine balance between being a team player, which that's what you want with taking care of yourself, which you have to do because when push comes to shove, the team takes care of itself. Joe, do you think that's a fine uh, approach from Darius to be like, Hey, you just, you just paid Braden. I'm going to wait right here. Yeah. I mean, it, I would start to take issue if it, with it, if it bled into the season, obviously yeah. I would want him to show up and play the games. I think it turns into a bigger thing at that point. But during training camp, I mean, obviously practice helps, but I think training camp or not, Darius is going to be ready to play week one, and he's going to be a stud when he's out there. So I'm not too worried about him. Of all these players on this defense and offense and everything, not worried about Darius. I am worried about that. Can we check the field for some gopher holes? Because all these foot injuries are a bit concerning, and I'm just kind of, you know, knocking my knocking wood that I can find that no one else is next. That's the truth. But um, I, I mean, I'd imagine between now and the start of the season, we'll get at least one or two more injuries somehow, knickknacks somehow. But yeah, it's just go ahead, Mike. Yeah. And we were talking again today. Keep in mind that we're a ways away from it. But roster cuts are, are at the end of the month or early September when you cut to 53. Well, that's going to be complicated by Carson Wentz probably not being ready, but part, taking one year 53. Quentin Nelson probably not being part of your 50 uh, ready, but being part of your 53, you've got to do something with Eric Fisher. You could have four or five players that you, when you cut to 53, that you need to carry on to 53 that probably won't be ready for the season. So for, at least on that initial cut, you're going to be carrying some players who won't be ready to play, but, you, but you can't do it. You can't IR a guy now because he's out for the season. And with Eric Fisher, he's uh, he's on pup, and I believe you've got to activate him on the fifty-three, and then do something with him, whether it's pup or whether it's I think IR now is is it three weeks I believe it is mm -hmm. through the new rules. So, and we're only two weeks into camp, so you know can, can you imagine if if Chris Ballard's got four or five players that are going to miss a short time, but you need to carry them on the fifty-three when you cut to fifty-three. That makes really tough decisions elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, that's like, I, I think we'll get into this more as the weeks go on, Mike, but I, I think it's good to touch on it now saying, like, you need to be on the 53 first before okay. you end up on injured reserve or on pup or whatever. So when they make the cuts down to 53, they need to cut guys that they hope to bring back. That they, then, that they, would, that they would bring back in, in the perfect situation. But then other teams could possibly pick them up at the same time. So it just, it creates an awkward situation at that point. Um, so yeah, like I said, I think we'll get into that as, as the weeks go on and hopefully it won't be quite as bad as it, as it looks right now, but, uh, we'll see exactly what happens. Um, we usually do start with news either across the league or with the Colts, uh, just kind of more than just, uh, the X's and O's, but we, we jumped right in this week and justifiably so because of the, uh, the injury situations. Um, there, there is good news that Frank Reich is back at camp this week after clearing his COVID protocols. We've seen Frank, he looks good. He looks healthy. He was vaccinated. He still tested positive, so he falls on along, along the same um, what's it called same rules that that other people do. Ten days on the sideline, and then well, now he's back, so it's good to see him back. T.J. Carey is off the reserve COVID nineteen list as well on Monday. Um, the Colts did place Julian Davenport, uh, offensive tackle, on that list July 29th. I haven't seen Al Kadeem Muhammad come off that list. I don't think I think he's still on that list technically. Xavier Rhodes as well. Xavier Rhodes too. So there's a couple guys right there who are still on the list. Uh, the NFL announced on Tuesday that 90% of players have at least one shot. Um, so Pretty that's, uh, yeah, the number keeps going up, which is certainly higher than just the, the country as a whole. So it's, uh, it's doing, doing well in terms of uh, getting vaccinated there. Nine teams are above 90, 95%. 27 teams are above 85%. Uh, the Colts are not one of those teams, as we all know, and uh, plenty of uh, column space. 
and uh, contra- uh, commentary has been de- devoted to that in the past. And I think that uh, we've devoted some to that in the past, too. So I don't think I need to get into it too much right here. If for, for some reason somebody really wants to jump in, you guys go ahead. But uh, former Colts defensive end Justin Houston signed a one year, four million dollar deal with the Baltimore Ravens, which Mike seems like it's in a very affordable number. But at the same time, Chris Ballard, as we know, said before camp started that he thinks that that room, the defensive ends is pretty full right now, in spite of the fact that the Colts let both of their guys go. And there's a big question mark there as the season begins. They really did not want Justin Houston back is, is what it comes down to. They want to give the reps and the time to their younger guys. Yeah. And, and that's where, when I put my GM hat on, which mine's always a little cockeyed, I, I, I would, I would rather have the, the proven. I would rather have Justin Houston back knowing I'm probably going to get eight, nine, 10 sacks. And at $4 million, I would have done it. I just would have. But the flip side is, you do that, and you're you're further stunning the growth and development of Ben Banigou, uh Kamoko Ture. You're taking you're in, in, in Mohammed. So I I understand what they're doing, but having said that, a couple of those guys need to step up and give you something of what you got you 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 got from the past with with Autry, and uh, and Justin Houston. They're they're expecting major contributions from Quinny Pay and he's looked good. He has looked good. Therese looked good. Banigou's looked good. Taekwondo Lewis has looked good. So I totally understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. I hope we're not sitting here at the end of September thinking, boy, four million bucks for Justin Houston, if he would have come back. I mean that's hypothetical. Right. But you at some point you simply have to trust your personnel people. If you're Chris Bell, you have to trust what your eyes tell you. And you have to trust that these guys are going to step up. This has been Banigou. This is it for Ben Banigou. He's got he's got to make an impact. And you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago, Kamoko Therese in a contract year. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy that he's been around that long. But you see it in practice, you need to see it in September and October. Mike, I've seen some rumblings on Twitter that Ben Banigou's really looked good so far in camp. How has he looked in your eyes? compared to, you know, past seasons? Does he look like a completely different guy out there? He looks quicker. I, I, don't, I don't think he's really cut any weight. In there, but he, he looks quicker, quicker to the ball, uh, more reactive. Maybe, maybe he was just thinking too much. And then, too, it's amazing, perhaps, what, what the sense of urgency does to you. I mean, Chris Ballard has, has said this is, this is a big year for Ben. Well, if that does – and they draft two, two pass rushers – with their first two picks. Well, I mean, what does that tell you? So he, he looks better. I, I temper it during preseason because I remember four, five, six years ago where, where you had a guy named Caesar Rayford here who led the preseason in sacks, and he was just a guy. He was just a guy. But I would rather see these guys flashing day after day after day like they are positively. Then not, and you see them once or twice a day. These guys are playing well. The D line's playing well, so I'm encouraged, but only so far with some of these guys. Because, right, Mike, because, and I think you. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. I was no, going to no, say, go I think I think you'll agree that uh, it's great to see them in camp doing well, and, and that's fantastic. But it'll be more important to see them doing well in a like a joint practice with the Panthers or in the preseason games. That is far more important than seeing them just as week two begins of training camp doing good things against their own teammates. Right. I, yeah, and and that's what we that's why, why I go back to the quarterback. Let's see how they do when it's when it's really serious, and we, when you don't know what the other defense is doing. That's why for all these guys, it, not not just the, the quarterback or the defensive ends, but all these guys, uh, the, the, as much as in the past, we in the media have, have belittled preseason games. Certainly four preseason games, and certainly the one in Cincinnati we always had. But th- this is when you find out who can do it, uh, who the game is not too big for, and at least the first two preseason games, I really want to see how certain players, including these pass rushers, perform. Colts owner Jim Mercer has also donated $2 million to cancer research this week. That was during the ninth annual Chuck Strong Gala hosted here in central Indiana. Mercer tweeted out that he put Chuck on the foul line committed $100,000 for every free throw he made. Boom, 10, made 10 of them, and then also drained a bonus $1 million free throw 
uh, afterwards with uh, that whole chunk of change uh, you know, on those, the line. Those casual $1 million free throws. Yeah, you know, <laughs> just, just a little pressure to do that, and, and Chuck delivered. And, and Mike, it's, it's cool to see Chuck come back here every year. Obviously, things on the field didn't end how he would have wanted, how the franchise would have wanted. Um, but uh, what, what he has been able to do off the field in Indianapolis w- was huge with uh, raising money for cancer research after everything that happened with him way back in uh, 20, 2012. And uh, Jim Irsay still to, to host something like this. I mean, it shows just it shows one area that Jim Irsay continues, of course, to give back to central Indiana and his charitable efforts certainly need need no no explanation or no um, no further. Um, I, 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 the words not coming to my mind, but there there it's very obvious to see that that he continues to give back to many areas here in central Indiana and doing so with Chuck here is just one of them. Yeah, it, 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 we see some of the things that Jim Irsay does. We probably see we don't see eighty percent of what he does because that's the way it, the, you know we we always see the guitars or the or the pianos or whatever he buys for his own thing. But what they do is pretty amazing. And, and with Chuck, it, it, you're right; it, it didn't end up well here. But his connection here, uh, which goes back again to what went on in 2012, that's as genuine as it gets. And the amount of money I, I don't have the number in front of me. The amount of money that he's raised through these is amazing it's genuine and you just you're just glad that chuck came through this the way he did it remains such a driving force in cancer research we have a football game this week thursday night the nfl preseason kicks off with the hall of fame game in canton with the dallas cowboys against the pittsburgh steelers as both of those franchises have a couple players I, we thought going in maybe the colts would be a candidate for the hall of fame but then you saw the players that that those two like pillar franchises the NFL has had or coaches as well that like, okay, that's understandable that the NFL is going to give them the spotlight here in Canton, but eight o'clock Eastern Fox 59. If you're watching in central Indiana will be the first NFL game, quote unquote game uh, of the year. And Mike, good news for NFL and football fans is between now and like January, there's, there's a football game on every week. So we've made it through the quote-unquote offseason yet again. Here we are watching real football, quote-unquote real football, in the preseason. It's amazing how the time flies and how we were sitting in the stadium last year. The most surreal situation where they're playing football, and there's, what, 7,000 people in the stands? It was like a sleepover. It was incredible. So to, to get back and, and, and be able to kind of get back to some sense of normalcy – I don't want to be Debbie Downer here, but I, I, I'm reserving some concern over having sixty some thousand people in these stands all year. I just I, I, I hope that happens, but with things going the way they are, I, I wonder. But it's it's just great, and uh, you know maybe they won't invite the Colts to the Hall of Fame game anymore. But the last time they did, there wasn't a game, <laughs> as we all remember. But uh, no, it's it's great to have football back and. To be in the stadium, it was it September 12th when, when Seattle comes in. It'll be pretty amazing. And, Mike, of course, you'll be in Canton this weekend as uh, Peyton Manning and Edger and James be enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, for those of you listening, be on the lookout for our bonus episode. That's coming up shortly. We will hear from Peyton. We'll hear from Edger directly. But, uh, but Mike, as as the, the man who presents them for Hall of Fame, as the one who um, – who, who votes for, for the Hall of Fame, uh, you get to be there while these two pillars of the franchise who are such big, played both of them played such a big part in in its turnaround in the early 2000s and uh, in taking its place of dominance in the AFC South and the AFC as a whole. Um, this is this is going to be a, uh, uh, I, it, it's going to be, well, well I'll, I'll let you describe what it's going to be for you because obviously you're a part of the media, impartial media that covers it, but I'd imagine there's going to be some special moments because of the relationships you've built specifically with these two players over the years. Yeah, from doing this as long as I have, you know, I, I was I was here from the start with Peyton, and I and I still remember, he, he's one of the most unique people I've ever been around, how his mind operates. I still remember talking me there was about 20 of us talking to him at the combine and we got him up against a, the Louisiana street bar was right there. And we had him up against the bar and they were like, you know, we circled him and we talked for 15, 20 minutes. And then that was it. And then I went to his uh, personal work that with the Colts in Knoxville and I'm walking through the hallway. I don't see the work yet, but I'm waiting to talk to the Colts and there's Jim Moore and Bill Pullen and Tom Moore and Tom Conn and the agent and Peyton. 
and we just we pass each other in the hallway. He says, "How you doing, Mike?" And I'm thinking, "How in the heck do you know me?" But that's how he was wired. He wants to know the people, and it's just amazing when you think about what how the cults evolved with Manning. Bill Polian's first pick was Peyton Manning, and the second year his first pick was Ezra James, and. We, we could do an entire show on what happens, what would have happened if it was Ryan Leaf and Ricky Williams. We would be having this podcast talking about something else because I could make a strong case that there might not be a team here had, had that not gone the right way. So uh, I know some people in the organization don't like to put it all on Peyton's shoulders, but most of it was on Peyton's shoulders. There's a statue outside the stadium for crying out loud. They don't do that for everybody. It'll be a special weekend. What I like about it is we'll get there and you can kind of, you're down on the the field or the floor where the ceremony is. And there's all these former Colts. I mean, you know, Reggie will be there and Marvin will be there and Tony Dungy and Terry Glenn will be there and Mathis and Freeney probably. So you get a chance. I, I talked with Bob Sanders a couple of years ago when, when uh, Dungy and, and, and Marvin went in, it's really cool to get caught up with guys on how they're doing. And like, like Edron said, you know, we got a two for one this weekend. So it, it'll be cool. And, and uh, just looking forward to it. So once again, be on the lookout for that bonus episode, a hall of fame episode where we hear from Peyton and Edron themselves. You can also follow us on Twitter at Colts blue zone throughout the week to follow up on news and notes and see which is the next player that will have foot surgery sometime for the, I'm just kidding. Hopefully I'm just kidding. It's funny. We, we, we talked about Frank about that. We, I was joking yesterday. I said, you know, you're gone for 10 days and not a lot happens. You come back for two days and we got two <laughs> foot surgeries. So yeah, it's he, and today he said, yeah, nothing, no four o'clock, surgeries that I know of. Yes. Well, let's hope it stays that way for Joe Hopkins and Mike Chappell. I am Dave Griffiths. Please subscribe to the Colts blue zone podcast. Get this delivered to your podcast listening device. Whenever it drops a special one on Wednesday this week. And like I said, a second one coming about the hall of fame. Thank you for listening and we will see you next time.